Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brody Young. I'm on staff here at Thornton. So glad you can join us this morning. And I, I come to you this morning with a really burdened heart in light of this past week. I come to you feeling a lot of the pain that a lot of the people around me are feeling. And I'm sure we all know somebody who was affected by the fires that happened this past Thursday in our surrounding uh, towns. And the message I had prepared looks very different today than it did this past Wednesday. This morning, we're going to talk about Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And this morning, we're going to look at our mission statement that we see every week when we enter this building, to be Christ-centered people, fully devoted to loving God and loving others. Right now, our community really needs us more than ever, it seems. And so it's especially important that we remain centered on Christ this morning, that we know how to receive joy from Christ in order that we can impart that to others. And so would you pray with me this morning and then we will get into Colossians chapter one. Heavenly Father, we need you this morning. We need your mercy, God. We come together, some of us hurting, and some of us excited about the holiday season, excited about the prospect of a new year. And God, we may be uncertain about how to feel about worshiping you this morning. God, we pray that you would meet us here. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. As we study Colossians, would you help us to see you? Would you comfort us and would you give us hope? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20, we're gonna hear the words of the Apostle Paul, a man who knew a lot about what it means to suffer, a man who himself is writing from prison and he's writing to this church at Colossae where they've been very confused because the philosophers of the day are giving them all kinds of ideas about people to follow. And so the, the people in the church are confused. They like Jesus, but they also have all these other gods that they can follow. And the philosophers are saying, Jesus is great, but what about all these other options? Jesus is viewed almost as a rung on the ladder of deity. And so Paul is writing from prison, he's writing to his brothers and his sisters in the church, and he's saying, please trust in Christ. Jesus is worth following. And so this morning, we're gonna look at one of the great Christological passages in the New Testament, one that's just full of meaning about Jesus Christ. And we're gonna see what does it mean that Jesus is ruler over this earth? and over the church. We're gonna see two reasons. The first is that Jesus is the ruler over all creation. If you look with me at verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
See, the first thing we need to know is that God is invisible. It says that right here in verse 15, the image of the invisible God. In the Old Testament, people would see God in all kinds of ways. God appeared to people in the form of clouds or pillars of fire or thunder or lightning. Perhaps the most famous instance of this is Moses talking with the burning bush. And so they they saw God. So we're a little confused here because it says here that he's invisible, right? But while people saw God in the Old Testament, they only saw him in part. They didn't have the full access to his presence. And so this is a huge deal when we see this. It says he is the image of the invisible God. He is that image that in the Old Testament, Moses saw in part. He spoke to through a cloud. They saw in thunder and lightning. But we see it in the form of a baby boy, in the form of Jesus that we just talked about in this Advent season. Jesus has appeared and he's given us full access to God the Father. He's the image of the invisible God. 1 John 4.12 says, no one has seen God, but now we see God in Jesus Christ. I want to look at a, an instance in John 14, verses eight through nine. Jesus is meeting with his disciples before he's going to be betrayed. And Philip says to Jesus, one of his disciples says to Jesus in the upper room, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Christ is in the Father and the Father is in him. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. He's the ruler of creation. And he's the ruler of creation that we see here on earth. We love to go out and look at the snowy mountains or the beautiful snowfall, each snowflake independent and unique or the oceans and the rushing rivers and even the terrifying sun that gives the power to, to, of life as well as destruction. God created these things. He's the image of the invisible God. It says he is the firstborn of all creation. We're gonna see this term firstborn again in verse 18. And so I'm gonna come back to it in a little more detail later on. But this term firstborn is an Old Testament term. Oftentimes, if you think of the, the lineages, the genealogies that we see throughout the Bible, it was oftentimes the firstborn that would receive the honor and the respect. It was the the eldest son that would receive the blessing from the father. But that's exactly what it was about, was a place of honor. And so in this instance, when it says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, many have tried to use this verse and to say, Jesus is created. He's just like these other guys. He was created by some other God. But we know from verse 16, it says, for by him all things were created. And so this must mean something else entirely. If Jesus wasn't created, he was there from creation. 
this term, the firstborn of all creation, is not a statement of chronology, but it's a statement of authority. Jesus is the authority over all things created. Over the mountains, over the snow, over the people. And we love to look at these things and to find great joy in them and to miss Jesus. We love to worship. It's a tendency of mankind to worship the creation instead of the creator. But Jesus is not only the creator of these things, he's in them, it says. If you look with me at verse 16, Oh, sorry, excuse me, 17. He says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ is present in creation. When we see the beauty of God's creation and don't see Jesus, we fail to see him because he is before those things and he is in those things. Christ is the beauty of creation. The second reason we can trust Jesus this morning is that Jesus is the head of the church. And if you look, verse 18, it says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. This image of a body, we see it all throughout the New Testament. It's one of the common images to explain the church is that each part of the body has a very important function, right? What is my face if I don't have a nose? I won't be able to smell if I don't have a nose, or if I don't have ears, I'm not going to be able to hear very well. And so I need all of these important functions and members to function to the best of my ability, right? One of the things I had the joy of doing over Christmas break was I got to go to the mountain and I got to ski with my brother-in-law's. And we went up the mountain, and you see all kinds of amazing things. The view is just beautiful. And you see incredible athletes pulling off maneuvers that require great discipline and great skill, things that might be difficult to pull off by a normal person. But a funny thing happened. As I was going up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain, and I was having a great time all day, eventually... My legs started shaking a little bit. My legs started shaking a little bit, and all of a sudden, some of those maneuvers that I'd been able to make a little bit earlier in the day, I wasn't quite able to do them as well. Which is crazy, because I'm in perfect condition. (laughs) But when one part of the body fails, it becomes much more difficult for the rest of the body to function. Our bodies, we need our brains in order for the rest of our body to function. Our fingertips don't move without our brain telling our fingertips to move. And in this passage, that's the image of the body that's being presented, is that Christ is the head of the body. He is the brain that causes all other parts to function. All other parts of the body are under his authority. They need him. And we are the body. We are the body of Christ. Each of us has different gifts, different abilities, different backgrounds and skills. We each have our own families with unique problems, our own hardships that we've been through. 
But all of those things fall into submission to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. It continues, it says in verse 18, he is the beginning. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Jesus Christ is the word from the beginning. It says in Revelation chapter 22 that I am the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Jesus has been from the beginning and he will be to the end. He was there at creation. He is the firstborn from the dead, verse 18. Again, we just saw this in verse 15, that term firstborn, but here all of a sudden, it's not of creation, it's the firstborn of the dead. And if that expression sounds familiar, it's because we saw that in Hebrews chapter 12. Zach did a great job unpacking that for us in, in Hebrews 12, 23, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. This doesn't mean that Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead. Remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. And so again, this isn't a statement of chronology. It's a statement of Jesus' authority. He is the one that allows all others to be raised from the dead. And so he gives new life to those who are in the church. He is the head of the church. He's the beginning of it. And he is the firstborn from which all believers can be raised from spiritual deadness. And he uses this term. It says, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Verse 19, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This word dwell should make us think of the Old Testament. It should make us think of the tabernacle, God's presence in the tabernacle. He dwelled with his people. And now he dwells within Christ. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. And we have access to Jesus Christ. Remember the story from John that I shared earlier about Philip coming to Jesus. And he said, show us yourself. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm with you. Don't you know that I and the Father are one? We look at Philip and we say, wow, what a dummy. He was right there in the presence of God and he didn't even know it. He had full access to the presence of God. He didn't even know and he's, he's questioning the very one that bears the image in the presence of God. But we too have Christ Jesus. I want you to notice in verse 15, it says, he is the image. Not he was the image, not he will be the image. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And it continues, Jesus is the ruler of the church because he is the reconciler. Verse 19 talks about Jesus reconciling to himself all things. This term reconcile implies that there's some form of separation, that there's a broken relationship. And so we look back to the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit that they're not supposed to and they're cast out of the garden. They're cast out from the presence of God. From the presence of God. 
And that's what reconciliation is, is God redeeming his presence. He's saying, I'm finding a way for man to be in my presence. We will be together again. It says that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, but also that it pleases him to dwell in Jesus. This is really important. I don't want us to miss this. Jesus was not a backup plan. Jesus was not the backup plan for God because man couldn't be in his presence. God is pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. He's pleased to give us his presence in Jesus Christ. This has been his plan. He alone is the ruler of the church and all creation. And through his blood, he has brought peace to all his people. And so Jesus is the ruler of creation. We can follow Jesus because of his creation. But also, we can follow Jesus because of the way he has reconciled the church. If you're a believer today, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a part of his kingdom, he has reconciled you, he has made a way for you to be in the presence of God through his presence. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as we consider our communities which are hurting, as we consider the pain as we're confused and we're saying, God, where were you on Thursday? I wanna encourage you, God is glad you are here. God desires your presence, whether you're angry or sad or confused. Your presence here brings great joy because God desires our honesty. And sometimes it's difficult to see these truths from, first, or from uh, Colossians, excuse me. Sometimes it's difficult to see Christ as the head of the church. But we look to these truths, we look to the words of God, we look to creation around us, and we say, God, please give me the strength to find joy and hope from your presence in creation. Give me the strength to find joy and hope from the believers around me in my church, all of the members of my body. Give me hope in order that I might impart it to those around me. Without Christ at the center, our love fails. And when our love fails, our ability to help others, to be fully devoted to loving others, fails. But when we properly see Christ, he meets us in our pain. He meets us in our confusion. He meets us in our suffering. And he, he teaches us greater love, that we may impart that love and that hope and that joy to our communities. And so two ways I think this impacts us as followers of Jesus. Two ways these realities of Jesus impact us. Number one, is that it should impact our engagement in the world around us. 
The first is that it should impact our engagement in the world around us. You see, Jesus had something that we call incarnational ministry. Jesus became like man. He entered into our context. He met us where we were at. But we have this tendency sometimes to retreat, to say this world is over here, but if I, if I get in there, I'm gonna get a little mucky. It's gonna be dangerous. That I don't wanna... I don't want to leave any chance for me to stumble whatsoever. And so I'm just going to retreat. I'm going to create my own music. I'm going to have my own restaurants. I'm going to have my own Christian movies. And I'm going to have my nice Christian life over here. And I never enter in. I never interact with this world. But when we see Jesus as present in the fabric of reality, when we see Jesus as present in creation, it doesn't allow us to retreat because Jesus is present over here. Jesus is present in our communities. And our communities need us. They need us to impart the presence of Jesus. When Christ is at the center, we will enter into uncomfortable situations. But it's a part of God's mission for the church. The second way this should impact us is that it should produce joy as we participate in our communities. Remember what it said. It pleased God for the fullness of him to dwell in Jesus. Does it please you to go and dwell with other people? Does it produce joy to go and see others, those who don't know Jesus, to be able to impart him to them? Does it produce joy when you're out in creation, when you're shopping at your local King Supers, and there's this massive line at the self-checkout can you find joy as you enter into that context? When we properly see Jesus as at the center of our communities, it will transform the way we love others. And it will transform the way we love God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you dwell with us, that you've created a way, that you've reconciled us to yourself, that you've brought us back together with you. God, we're sorry for the ways that we have failed to make you the center of our church and of our lives. God, we pray as we enter this new year that you would help us to do this. We pray as we see so much hurt in our, our community right now that you would help us to enter in to sacrifice in the way that you have. And so teach us to do these things. Teach us to love you each day more and more. We pray this in your name. Amen.